Thank you, Brandon, Grace, and team. Appreciate that. And all of you for your worship and singing, being here. It's humbling. We're grateful that you're here. And we know you could be just about anywhere at this hour on a Sunday, so we're thankful that you're here and with your families. It means so much. I want to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn to James chapter 2. I know you thought I was going to say James 1, but we're in James 2. So that's a really good thing. James chapter 2. Today our minds are also on our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. It is the national day of prayer for the persecuted church. We will take a moment to bow our hearts and heads silently and ask God to be merciful to these individuals all around the world who are suffering for his name. Um, Suffering because they love Christ, because they trust him, because they are firm in their resolve and their allegiance to him. Um, Because his name is more precious to them than life, comfort, security, safety, pleasure, leisure, and country. Um, All of the apostles died a martyr's death. Paul was executed in Rome. Peter hung upside down. He was crucified. James, our beloved author and shepherd in this letter, beheaded. We've seen the gruesome um, images and even some um, shadowy video of beheadings in the Middle East as a result of the ISIS tragedy. And you need to know that there are many, many believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who are suffering these things for his name. They are the others on the other side of the world, yet we stand with them in solidarity because of Christ. The name of Jesus has changed everything for them. How they live, the priorities of their lives, their passions, their pursuits, their affections, their living on behalf of Christ has cut through the fabric of culture and brought a blazing, radical, authentic living that this godless world cannot abide. But these few find refuge and hope in Christ, and we will pray for them. Let's bow our hearts, our minds, everything that is in us, silently, together, call upon the name of the Lord for mercy, for protection, for provision and grace for our brothers and sisters around the world. Let's pray together. Our God, I pray that you will hear the voices, the thoughts, and prayers of your people in this place on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, who even now, Lord, are probably trusting you for protection, for provision, for safety, for deliverance. I pray, O God, that in Jesus' name you will give them boldness and resolve in their faith, courage, mercy and comfort for those who have lost loved ones. God, we pray that the gospel will flourish in spite of this evil, that many, many, many countless hearts will be open to the love of Christ. I pray for the church of Jesus Christ here in this land, that we would be shaken from our complacency, delivered from our apathetic ways, 
Cause us, oh God, to step out afresh in boldness and courage while we have the freedom to do so. To speak Christ, to live for him, to keep an edge of holiness about us, Lord, that breaks through barriers, that is loving and compassionate as you are, to see people as you see them, that your kingdom might grow and be strengthened. We ask that we would exalt the name of Christ in this place today. In his name and for his sake, amen. James says at the beginning of this section, James chapter 2, he says, because you believe, we just sang that great hymn, my brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, because you believe, because you just stood and sang with all your might and all your heart and soul and even applauded afterwards, because you believe, don't play favorites. Don't play favorites. Don't show favoritism. Suppose a person comes into your meeting, that is to say your worship service, just like this, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And also a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So he set up a contrast Both are are reality, both are certainly feasible and possible. Even in this setting, we could have two individuals of very different backgrounds walk into this assembly, into this worship experience. One on the external looks like they've got it all together. They've got some means. They have significant influence. They're wearing the right clothes. They look sharp. They're driving, they have a nice ride Clearly, on the external, this is the kind of person that I would want to be a part of, especially if they want to be a part of the church. They're Christians. Wow, that's even better. And they got kids, too. Kids that look like my kids and dress like my kids. And they've got a a, a mom and a dad, and, and they've got relatives. And it's just, wow, this is good. But what if someone else comes into the church that doesn't look like that, says James? Someone who's wearing shabby clothes, clothes that don't quite measure up. They don't hit the bar. They don't quite have it all together. On the external, it looks like, wow, they're not quite what we had in mind. <laughs> Maybe they don't, they don't look like they have the means. They look a little scruffy, a little rough around the edges. Those, those people both come into the assembly at the same time, and James says, If you show a special favoritism towards the one who looks most like you, the rich one, the one dressed right, the clean-cut person, and say, these are great seats. Come to our small group. Be in our Sunday school class. You You look like us. We'd love to you to have, have your kids hang out with our kids. You, you look like us. But you say to the other person, maybe nothing at all. Don't even notice them. Never dream about inviting them. In fact, you tell them to stand over here or maybe sit at your feet because they're, they're clearly, they don't quite have life altogether. Our kids act out. Kids aren't clean cut. Kids have a rap. 
too big a risk. So you treat him differently. Here's what James says. This is the mirror of God's word. If that is our attitude, if that's how we treat people differently, have we not discriminated amongst ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In light of the fact that we just stood and sang with all of our hearts, we believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's James chapter 2, verse 1. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't treat people like that. You see, how, how we respond and treat people matters very much to God. That's what James is talking about. It's extremely important to God, our Savior, Christ, the one whom we serve, adore, worship, and proclaim, pledge allegiance to. He's talking to us. He's talking to believers. My brothers and sisters, as believers, he's talking to the church. He's appealing to the highest virtue of the Christian faith, which is an unadulterated love that is expressed and applied for all people, free of all level of prejudicial, judgmental spirits. And the appeal is based on the supremacy of Jesus, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. As believers in him, listen, this is a standard that is expected of those associated with that glorious name. Those who are not believers cannot be held to such a standard. This is for the church. Prejudices and a judgmental spirit has no congruency in the Christian life. That's what James is saying, yet it is often what marks the church. Somehow we have figured that we can set ourselves apart from those we deem, we might not say it, but we deem them unworthy of our presence, relationships with us or our families or our children, our fellowship, our services, and even our experience because they are not like us. And so James says a very practical, penetrating scenario You're having a worship service and two people walk in. One is wearing fine clothing, looks all together, fits fits the mold, dressed nice, suit and ties, wife appropriately attired, nothing questionable, nothing that would cause you to gasp. All is good. Yet another walks in who's clearly diminished in their ability to provide. Maybe they're poor, wearing shabby clothes, supposing that you say to this person, We'd like to have a relationship with you, but you completely ignore the other. James says, you are in contempt. Have you not discriminated against yourselves and judged with evil thoughts? Wow. Now, this is the mirror of God's word, and he says, do not be simply hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Don't just look in the mirror and then just see something and walk away, James says, like you've just forgotten what you've seen. But rather, the power of the word is to transform those attitudes, the attitudes of the heart, the prejudices of the spirit, that we might more and more lift and exalt the name of the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We are not above such sin. We are not. Not in this place, not anywhere where the name of Christ is named. We can easily discriminate amongst ourselves and judge people with such evil thoughts. That's the point. That's what he's saying. Maybe it's a family. Maybe, maybe we don't want our children associating with maybe other children, teens, that you know, maybe they're not quite 
the kind of individuals we'd want our kids to associate. They're kind of fringe kids, you know. A little bit of a rougher background. Too big of a risk that they might have a negative influence on our kids. So, so rather, we pursue the kids that are, are, are a safer prospect. They line up more closely with, with our values, but yet they're both in the assembly. James says, if that is your mindset, is that, is that how you are driving your priorities and your decisions about relationships, you are in contempt. You are discriminating amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And it cannot be abided in the body of Christ. Maybe there are guests. We have guests, so many guests. We're so thankful for the number of people who come. God's Spirit leads them here, but yet we are so comfortable with the people that we know. We feel most accustomed to being with in relationship. We sit by them. We pursue them, but yet guests wander into this campus and into these assemblies, and they're looking for relationship, but they cannot find them because we're so focused on the people we feel most comfortable with. By the way, I've said this in a several different option or different settings to the ministry team and some of our leaders, guests Guests always come early. They always come early. And they usually sit up front. Church people always come late. And we like to sit in the back. Because that's where we're comfortable. James says that doesn't work. We treat everybody the same. If we believe in the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's, that's the gospel. Now watch what he does. This is pretty compelling. I'm glad it's here and printed. We're not making this up. James is serious. Um, listen, he says, verse 5. My, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? That's external. To be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Has he not actually chosen those who are typically disregarded, uninvited, to actually partake and receive the good things of God? The answer, of course, is yet. But you in the church, the Christians, have typically, over the generations, insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name? Of him to whom you belong? Wow, those are powerful questions like waves, one after another after another. Looking down on and treating people with contempt in the body of Christ because people don't live their lives precisely according to our standards. That, that puts us in contempt in God's eyes. We judge with evil thoughts, says James, and we don't understand the nature of God's heart for people his heart is for the, the less noticed, the uninvited, those who both interior and exterior have a poverty about them that, that sets them up to be the best receivers of the things of Christ. And we now look into the mirror of God's word. And we have an opportunity to respond. What's in view is an obedience to the all, the whole law of God. He says, if you really, verse 8, keep the, law, the royal law that is found in Scripture, now he's going to quote Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, then you're doing right. 
If you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, then you're on track, says James. Who's my neighbor? Here's my house. Here's the house next door. That's my neighbor. Here's my house. Here's the house on this side. That's also my neighbor. Down the block, at the end of the cul-de-sac, the people in this community, all around us, that's our neighbor. James says, if you love people like that, the way you love yourself, the way you invest in your family, in your children, if you love their children and their family the way you love yours, then you're on track. That's what it looks like. Yes, Yes, says James. That is what it means to keep the royal law of God that is found in the scriptures. But, (laughs) if you show favoritism, that is to say you choose who you love, who you invest in, based on what is most comfortable and convenient and appropriate for you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. lawbreakers. Now he grabs a standard which would have been perfectly acceptable. He takes the law of Moses. Verse 10 he says whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a lawbreaker. So now James is saying listen everyone would agree That if you are a murderer and a Christian, you are out of step with the gospel. Or if you are an adulterer and you are a Christian or claiming to believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are also out of step with the gospel. He's just adding an 11th commandment, a commandment, thou shalt not commit favoritism. You cannot say, I believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and treat people with prejudice. If you do, you are a lawbreaker. And your experience is incongruous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we swallowed something about 30 years ago, 40 even, probably longer than that, as a church, a Christian church. And it was this. The gospel became a resolve and a commitment to raise Christian families and homes. The emphasis was on building walls and barriers around my home and my family in order to preserve a Christian experience. And we were taught and encouraged to focus on the family. Over and over and over Books and seminars and DVDs and proclaimers and radio programs emerged that propagated this other gospel. And we became convinced that our chief mission as Christians was to raise Christian families. 
And James says, no. In fact, the whole of the New Testament says, no. Jesus says, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian family, your mission is to take the gospel to the nations and to equip all of your children to do the same. First here and then everywhere out there. We cannot accomplish that mission playing favorites with this gospel. That's what James is saying. This light that we will explore in our Advent series was never meant to be held under a bushel. No! It was meant to be shined. Set on a high hill for all to see. That our children would be so consumed with the light of the gospel that it would blaze into culture. Blaze onto the university campuses. Blaze into the business realm. Blaze into the, the places of the earth where we as parents could possibly never go and proclaim the glorious name of Jesus Christ. But we have kept it under a bushel. And James says, we are off the mark. We've lost our way. We've confused the mission. Now, you might be saying, I don't know if you are or not. Depends if you're awake or not. <laughs> Does our pastor really not believe that we should raise Christian kids? Did anybody hear me say that? <laughs> Don't send me, well, go ahead, send me an email, then we can talk. I didn't say that. Does our pastor really not want us to have godly Christian homes? Did anyone hear me say that? I didn't say that. What I did say is that that's not our mission. Our mission is the gospel. If we are in Christ, if we believe as we sang so gloriously this morning in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, we are under command not to stay huddled in the comfort of our own Christian enclave, but to go. Not with a spirit of prejudice and judgmentalism, but with mercy. Now, this is what he says. <clears throat> Verse 12, he's going to apply it, James 2. Speak and act. He wants your words. He wants your actions as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And here, in four words, he gives the essence of our gospel. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you hear that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the gospel. 
Let your words and your actions be consistent with how you were treated by our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. Were you not shown mercy? Of course you were. I was as well. Yet we continue to insist on sitting in the comfort of who we are and judging people who walk by us Their experience, all of these things, as somehow diminished because they're not like us, but rather the priority of the gospel is to offer mercy, not judgment. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. On that day, when we stand before our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, judgment will be shown without mercy to all who have not been shown mercy, who have not shown mercy. That's the gospel. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. And this this problem is not new. In fact, ministries and churches all over the world, and even in this area, perhaps even this one, were forged and prostituted on the absolute opposite message, and that is that judgment triumphs over mercy. And James says no. Let your words and the way you live and act as Christians square up with the way God speaks and his actions. And that is not to be judgmental, but to be merciful in all of our ways. There's a passage in uh, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 14. If you want to go there quickly, I'll just look at it. This is one of the stories that Jesus told, but it was highlighting, I think, his own personal frustration at this reality. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus is at a party, by the way, a party of a religious person. And he said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, that is to say, when you open your home, do not invite your friends your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. (laughs) He goes right to it. You see that? When you open your home and have a get-together, what do you normally do? Well, I'm going to invite people who like me and who act like me and make me feel good about me. That's your friends and your rich neighbors. He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that when you open your home. Because you're, you're under command. You're, you have a new mission. Um, if you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. So you've got this great little kind of Christian experience where I invite you and you invite me and we all feel really good about all of this inviting back and forth. Rather, he says, when you give a banquet, when you open your home, invite the poor. That sounds like James too. The crippled. The lame. The blind. Disabled people. People who typically don't get invited to Christians' homes. People who need wheelchair access. People who probably aren't able to wash their clothes Um, every 25 minutes like we do 
And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I love that. He was so overwhelmed, he just quoted an obscure passage. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now I think he's talking about himself, Jesus, the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. At that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, come, for everything is now ready. That's the message of Jesus, by the way. Come, come. Did you hear that? That's what the king says. Come, everyone come, everyone come, everyone. Come. But they all alike began to make excuses. These are all the people that were invited. One of them said, well, I just bought a field. And I must go see it. i got to work. Please excuse me. Another said, well, I'm busy. I can't come because I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. I've got a lot of stuff i got to take care of. So please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. (laughs) Weddings. Weddings. Oh, weddings. It's all about weddings, right? I got a wedding. It's like like 18 months away, but I can't come because I got a wedding. Okay? That's the same thing. Jesus is, I think he's with us on that. Weddings. See that? The servant still said, I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. I think this is the glorious Lord Jesus. (laughs) And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. If they won't come, they're too busy, they're too tied up, kind of serving themselves. We'll fill this place. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still no room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. They are in contempt. They are in contempt. James says this is the mirror of, of, of God's word. We look at it, we see it. Wow, what are we doing with these gifts? This identity, this, this confidence. We believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we still exhaust all of our resources on ourselves and on our own children. It's not our mission. Our mission is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the highways and byways, to the poor and the crippled, to the needy, to the children without parents, to the families of the community that cannot repay, that have never been invited to a cookout. or to a holiday or vacation. That's our mission. And James says it's because of his mercy. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. James is just not going to let this go we can't create our own Christian experience cannot the only acceptable response 
to the call of Christ is to die to self and to live for him. That means getting way out of our comfort zones for the gospel. Rendering this relentless drive to achieve and be noticed for our achievements. Why do we want people to love us so much? Jesus said, they're going to hate you. We want them to love him. Him. We want them to see him. Now we're not huddled in a cave in northern Iraq praying for rescue. But I think we might face an even more difficult peril And that is just no impact for the gospel. Who cares? I believe what Christ has called us to at the body here at First Baptist North is a very different Christian experience. That looks more like this. To be willing to look in the mirror, all of us, and not say, well, those rules don't apply to me, but let God speak, and then not, not just walk away and act as if we haven't heard it or seen it, but rather let God transform us, transform our attitudes. God is drawing people to this ministry. He's opening up avenues for us to speak light and grace and truth into, into lies that this ministry has never been able to speak to before. We, we've got to get back on mission. He will bless it. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad? That's what this table is about. It's because mercy reigns, not judgment. We're going to come as a, as a body to this table. Not because we were judged, but because Christ showed us mercy. He was gracious to us in Christ. He took the judgment. He took the penalty for sin. He took the blow of condemnation so that we could have mercy. And James is saying, so just be merciful. Let what marks you be kindness and mercy. That's the gospel. That's the vision. That's our mission. Because we believe. Let's pray. Father, make this somehow plain and compelling 
in all of our lives, in the witness of this ministry, let Christ be made known afresh, anew. Help us to be merciful in his name. Amen.